Good morning. Welcome to our weekend services here at Christ Community Chapel. Uh, I'm so glad you're with us, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me or over in East Hall or watching online. Again, welcome. We're glad that you are here. And Merry Christmas. It's a great time of year, and I hope you are in the Christmas spirit. I definitely am because uh, I've been at the Christmas concerts the last few nights. Have you been? Yeah. They're fantastic, yeah. You know, it is an incredible thing that at one church we have that much talent. Talented musicians, talented singers, talented production team and volunteers. I'm always proud to be on staff at Christ Community Chapel, but this week I'm a little extra proud uh, because I'm surrounded by so many talented people. And I know you just applauded, but can we do that one more time to thank all the people involved? Thank you so much for all that you've done. But I'm also in the Christmas spirit because this is the time of year where we as a church engage in our family traditions. And one of those traditions is just because. And just because are these little cards that we want to flood all over Northeast Ohio connected to random acts of kindness and generosity. And the way it works is you do something kind for someone, something generous, and you give them the just because card. And the card lets them know that what you just did wasn't earned by them. It's just to show them that, that they have value, that they matter to you, that they matter to God, that they are loved. And what's really cool about the Just Because cards is on the back of the card, there's an online place that people can go to tell the story of how they were blessed by your kindness and generosity. And as a staff, we love to read those stories. And I have a couple here. Is it all right if I, I share them with you? I think you'll really like them. Here's one, for example. I was at work having a rough day. Student teaching is coming up for me, and I don't feel financially or emotionally ready. I prayed to God and asked him for strength and wisdom for the day, whatever was coming up next. I don't normally check my mailbox at work, but at the end of the day, I felt like I needed to check it. Inside was a white envelope with my name on it. I took the envelope and put it in my bag. When I got home, I opened it and found a $75 gift card and a note that said, just because. It said that the card wasn't a reward for something I had done, but just because I'm worth it and I have value, I was overcome with joy. I hadn't figured out how I was going to buy the clothes I needed for student teaching. Right now, all my income goes to bills. I was so thankful and felt like God answered my prayers. I'm very thankful to whoever gave me this gift. Praise the Lord. Here's another one. After a long week and with my family struggling this holiday season to afford Christmas, A generous woman approached my family at the checkout line at Walmart. She offered to pay for my groceries. I was taken off guard and told her she didn't have to, but she said she wanted to. My total was $92. I gave her a big hug to show my appreciation. P.S. If the kind woman who approached me and my three children today, two girls and and a son with Down syndrome, is reading this, you are amazing, you have a kind soul, and we will never forget what you did. Are those cool stories? And you know what? We can clap. That's good. That's a good reason to clap. 
I mean, that's three claps. We're probably at our limit, but that was a good one. We, you know, what's great about it is you still have time. You still have time to go in the atrium following the service to grab a handful of Just Because cards and, and write stories like that one for other people, to bless people, to touch them, and above all else, to let them know that God loves them. So great job. Keep it going. Let's, uh, let's bless as many people this holiday season as we can. And let's keep the Christmas spirit going by continuing our Christmas sermon series. So if you have a Bible, would you open it and turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 18. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you your first Christmas present. All you got to do when you leave here is stop by the Next Steps area and in the atrium and just say, hey, I don't have a Bible. We would love to give you one as a gift and we hope you'll enjoy it and read it and meet God in it. But in the meantime, you can check out the screen behind me. John chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what it says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is God's word. I want to give you an outline to help us make sense of John 1.18 and apply it to Christmas. And so I have three points. And if you're a note taker, you can write these down. And if you're not, that's okay. Just kind of think about them as mile markers in your head. The first one is I want to say that we are all just guessing. We are all just guessing. Second, but we don't have to. And third, and that changes everything. Okay, we're all just guessing. We don't have to, and that changes everything. Let's start with we're all just guessing. The verse opens this way. No one has ever seen God. And that sounds right, right? I mean, I'm not coming here this morning saying I've seen God. You're not coming here saying You've seen God. And in fact, if someone were to throw their hand up right now and say, no, wait, pastor, wait a minute. I have seen God. None of us would believe them and we wouldn't want to sit by them either. It would make us uncomfortable, right? No one has ever seen God. That, that's true. That, we know that's true. We feel that that's true. We believe that that's true. And yet what's interesting about that is for someone no one has ever seen, there's a lot of talking about God. There are a lot of opinions about God. People love to say things like, when I think about God, I think about this. Or to me, God is this or God is that. The world is dominated by religions which offer people an opportunity to know about God. People write books about God. They sing songs about God. They get in Facebook arguments about God. People talk a lot about God, but no one has ever seen him. That's a little weird. That would be like getting in the car with two friends to go on a road trip to Cincinnati. And on the course, over the course of the four hours from here to Cincinnati, you're talking and your two friends are talking about a third person, another person not in the car. And for all the trip, they're talking about this person, talking about this person, talking about the person. So when you pull into Cincinnati, you, your interest is peaked and you say, hey, uh, uh, I'd love to meet this person. Could you put me in touch with them? And they look at you baffled and say, oh, oh we've never met him. And you would think, what were we just doing for four hours? <laughs> you were talking about someone you don't know. You're talking about someone you haven't met. You're just guessing. You don't know. And that's how most of us, if we're honest, feel about religion. We don't know. We're just guessing. 
And that's why religious people are often full of doubt and insecurity. I mean, we don't talk about it, but a lot of times we are because for all of our singing and service going and volunteering and ritual stuff, we live with this sense that we just don't know. Who knows? We're only guessing. And when you reach that point in life, and most of us do or have or will, you tend to go one of two directions with that. Some of us will say, since I can't know and since we're just guessing, I'm going to be done with religion. What's the point of going into a room full of people who are just guessing? Their guesses don't help me. They don't know if they're right. How could we know who is right? And that might be some of you. You have disconnected. In fact, we may not have seen you since last Christmas. Welcome back. We're glad that you're here. And I get why you feel that way. I get why you would disconnect. And by the way, you can be here every week and still be disconnected, mentally checked out, saying, who knows, it's just guessing. And I get it. The the other approach, though, is to push the other way and to try harder. To say, well, maybe if I am a little more religious, if I'm extra religious, if I rub these beads or pray facing this direction, hold up these pillars, walk this path, find enlightenment, maybe then I'll know. So maybe I have to try harder to go from guessing to knowing. But neither of those is really going to get you anywhere. In the end, you're just guessing. Let me, let me give you an illustration to make my point. Ava? Come on up. This is my daughter, Ava. Ava, this is everyone. And don't worry, Ava hasn't seen God, if that's what you're thinking, okay? (laughs) So this is my daughter, Ava. She's she's nine. And uh, let's say that we were going to play a game. We're not, so if you get uncomfortable, we're not, okay? But let's say we're going to play a game. And I said we're going to guess Ava's favorite color. We're going to guess her favorite color. And I opened the floor for guessing. What would you guess? Uh, Some of you would say maybe her favorite color is blue because she's wearing blue. Others of you might say she's nine and her mother knew she was going to go on stage. She probably didn't pick out her clothes this morning, right? (laughs) So that was her mother's choice. You might say, well, her dad is wearing blue and she wants to be like her dad. So maybe that's her favorite color. Others will say, no, she's a nine-year-old girl. Her favorite color is pink or it's purple. Someone will say it doesn't have to be pink or purple. Maybe it's red. Maybe her favorite color is red for Ohio State. Maybe it's orange for the Browns. Maybe it's not orange because of the Browns. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? We could all guess. And some people would guess in ways that make sense to you. They would make arguments that you find compelling. Other people wouldn't. Someone could even write a book about their guess about Ava's favorite color. But in the end, no matter how much time we spent talking about it, no matter how compelling the argument somebody made, it would still just be guessing. Now, let's say that I said, okay, if you get it right, you go to heaven. But if you get it wrong, you go to hell. Totally different game then, right? You see, if we're all just guessing about God, the problem with that, and the reason why we feel so much angst about that, is because the stakes are high. So what do we do? Well, that leads me to my second point, which is to say we're guessing, but we don't have to. I haven't forgotten about Ava, don't worry. If we want to know what Ava's favorite color is, there's only one way to know, isn't there? And it's not guessing, and it's not listening to the guesses of everyone around you. We have to ask her. 
Ava's the only one who can tell us what her favorite color is. Ava, what is your favorite color? Blue. It's blue. If you had blue, you get to go to heaven. Her favorite color is blue. Now listen, once she says that, the time for guessing is over, right? It doesn't matter if the person next to you made a really great argument for purple. That argument is wrong because Ava has told us that her favorite color is blue. Ava speaks for Ava. Good job, baby. The same, though, is true for God, right? That we can all guess about God, but the only way we could ever know for certain who God is and what God wants and what God's like and what God's doing and how God feels about us is only if God speaks for himself. Now, that's what the writer of John 1.18 says. Look at what he says. No one has ever seen God. That's true. But then he says this. The only God who is at the Father's side He has made him known. He's speaking there of Jesus, and he's using Trinitarian language, right? One God and three persons, three and yet one. Jesus is God, the only God, but at the Father's side. And he's saying this, no one's ever seen God, but Jesus came so that God would be knowable. See, the whole claim of Christmas, the whole claim of Christianity is that God wasn't okay with us just guessing, He didn't want us to wonder or to be confused or to doubt or to have to listen to the guesses of those around us. God wanted us to know who he is and what he's doing and how he feels about us. So he came to tell us himself. And I know if you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking, well, sure, that's what Christians say. But the other religions say that God came in different ways. Actually, no. No other religion makes the claim that God himself came to us. No other religion makes that claim. Every other religion says you can read this book, you can listen to this prophet, you can find your own path to enlightenment. There are a lot of ways to go about it. But every religion would admit in the end, God didn't come. We're only guessing. Only Christianity makes the claim that God came himself. But if you think about it, That is the most fundamental claim that would have to be at the core of any true religion because the only way to know for sure who God is is if God tells us himself. The magnificence of Christmas is that God did just that. God looked down at not just the world, but at each of us individually and said, I don't want you to wonder. I don't want you to guess. I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to wrestle. I want you to know who I am and know what I'm doing, so I will come tell you myself. But if you think about it, that isn't necessarily good news. I mean, you remember when you were a kid and you got into trouble and you heard your parents' footsteps down the hall. You knew they were going to come and they were going to make themselves known to you, but it was going to be bad news. So we don't just need a God who draws near to us, a God who speaks for himself, a God who will let us know what he's doing and who he is with certainty. We need a God who brings good news. But if you read the story of Jesus, that's exactly what you'll find. Jesus didn't come just to make God knowable. He came to let us know that God loves us. Jesus came to tell us that he came to rescue us, to seek and save the lost because God loves us so much. Jesus told us that he came to live in our place, obeying God where we didn't, getting things right where we didn't so that he could go to the cross and on the cross take all of our sins 
and give us all of his good life so that God could pour out his anger over our sins onto Jesus on the cross and crucify Jesus so that three days later when Jesus rose from the dead, God could look at us and say, I have no more anger left for you. I've poured it out on Jesus. Grab hold of him and you can know me and have me forever. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you didn't have to wonder if God loved you, hope that God loved you, read the book about somebody who said they're pretty sure God loves you. Jesus came so that God could look you in the eye, so to speak, and say, I love you, and then prove it in the most powerful and dramatic way possible. Now, one of the ways this expresses itself in the Christian faith is in the songs that we sing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when we sing, we sing with confidence. Now, I don't mean the volume level of the person next to you. I mean the things we say. We, may, we sing songs that make declarations. We just sang, I will build my life upon you. I will not be shaken. That's a declaration. And if you're not a Christian, you might come and hear our songs and think, ah, that's kind of cocky. I mean, we sing songs like this. God, you have, this is not a song, by the way, you're going to notice that in a minute, this would be a terrible song. Songs that say things like this, God, you have done this. God, you are doing that. God, you will do this. And if you're not a Christian, you might push back for that and go, man, those are really arrogant songs to sing. Who do you think you are? How do you know what God's doing? How do you know, how do you know what God's going to do? How do you know there's a place for you in what God is doing? And as Christians, we would say, we don't know because we're super smart or because we're super moral or because we're super religious. We know because God has told us himself. And we sing with confidence because when God tells you something, you know it's true. When God says he loves you, you know it's true. When God says he's doing something, you know it's true. When God tells you there's a place for you in what he's doing, you know that it's true. We sing songs of declaration because we don't have a prophet or a book. We have a God who speaks for himself to us. And that leads me to the third point, which is to say if that's true, it changes everything. You know, at Christmas time, people have this sense that there's this magic in the air, right? At Christmas, anything can happen. Big things can happen. People's hearts can soften. Romance can be found. All these things can happen. It's a magical time. It's, it, it's, it, it's this mystical experience of Christmas that can just change people. We create a lot of art to that end. We make a lot of things that balance out or send out this message of Christmas magic. And if the Sistine Chapel of this art, if you will, is the Hallmark Christmas movie. Do you watch Hallmark Christmas movies? Some of you nod vigorously, and then the people sitting next to you go, well, I do because of, you know, her. <laughs> yeah, I, I, all Hallmark Christmas movies are about this Christmas magic, and they're all the same. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to ruin them all for you in just a minute, okay? <laughs> so, here's the plot of a Hallmark Christmas movie. There's a woman who lives in the city. She has a really great job. She works really hard, so hard, she doesn't have time for Christmas. She also has a boyfriend. He seems to have a really good job, make a good amount of money, and be very important. She wants to get promoted at work, but if she wants to get promoted, she's going to have to take on this project. The project is at a ski lodge or a baking competition or, <laughs> right? The project just happens to be in her hometown, 
What are the odds of that, right? She goes back to her hometown. She meets her old high school boyfriend who doesn't seem to have a job, but really loves Christmas. During her time working on the project, she realizes work is bad, money is bad, the boyfriend who has a job is bad, a boyfriend without a job is good, Christmas is good, they fall in love, they kiss, it snows, the end. I'm sorry for ruining them all for you. But listen, people like those movies because it taps into this idea that something big is, at, uh, is afoot at Christmas, right? And look, I'll leave aside whether or not you're wasting your time by watching those movies or not and simply say you don't need to go to a Hallmark Christmas movie to find the magic of Christmas. The magic of Christmas is that God wants you to know who he is. God wants to be known by you. He wants it so bad, he comes himself. And he wants you to know not just who he is, but that he loves you and that he's putting the world back together and that there's a place for you in what he's doing. Now, there's a lot of implications of this. Let me tease some of them out. The first one is if you're here and you came in this morning saying, I do not have a relationship with God. I do not know God. Then what this means is that that's just a choice you're making. Because God is not hiding. He wants to be known. You, you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wrestle. You can meet him right here, right now, simply by asking him. You can say, God, I, I've heard that you want me to know you, that you want me to know that you love me, that Jesus has come to accomplish that, that he's the proof, his life, his death, his resurrection. And if that's true, God, I want that. You can meet him right here, right now. Why? Because he wants to be known. Because he wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know there's a place in what he's doing. You don't have to choose to be disconnected from God anymore. You can meet him right here, right now. But of course, if you're here and you already came in this morning calling yourself a Christian, there are implications for you too. The first one is don't miss the wonder of this. If Jesus hadn't come, all we'd be doing here right now is guessing about God. You couldn't know anything. You couldn't believe anything, not with certainty. You, you certainly couldn't know for sure that God loves you. You certainly couldn't know for sure that there's a place for you in his kingdom. You certainly couldn't know that there's a way for him to do away with all your sin and all his judgment and to welcome you into his family. You could hope that. You could read a book that tells you that. You could listen to speakers who encourage you that that's probably true. But the only way to know is if God comes and that's what he's done. Brothers and sisters, don't Miss the magic of Christmas. God is knowable. You can sing songs of declaration. You can say, this is who God is. This is what he's doing. This is how he feels about me. This is my place in what God is doing. You can sing those songs because Jesus has come. Don't miss that. If he hadn't come, you couldn't, and I couldn't, and we couldn't, but he has, so we can. But of course, the next implication is that means then that the Christian life really should be a life of getting to know 
God. Brothers and sisters, if you feel disconnected from God here this morning, it is not because he doesn't want you to know him. It's not because he's hiding. It's not because you have to perform at a certain moral or religious level to unlock his attention, to unlock his favor. He came to be known. He wants to be known, but there is no way to know him apart from spending time with him. That's why the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, is the center point of this book. That's why we preach from this book. It's why we sing from this book. It's why we read it. It's why, because in here is the story of Jesus. In here is how we become acquainted with God. Friends, if you want to know God, if you want to know what he'd say about your marriage or about your parenting, about your children, about your money, about your career, about your sexuality, about whatever it may be, you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to Google. Just ask him. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. He wants to be known by you. He wants relationship with you. So if we came in this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, feeling as though that wasn't true, that's not because it isn't true. It's because we've forgotten. That's available to us right now, right here, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. Getting to know God, learning who he is, learning what he's doing, and learning what that means for us. In a world full of people just guessing about God, we can know, and so can they, and we ought to tell them that. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, you don't have to rest on saying things like, to me, God is like this. When I think about God, I think this. All you're really saying is you're guessing. Wouldn't it be great to know for sure? That's why Jesus came. The magic of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, the story of Christmas is that God wants us to know how much he loves us. Let's pray. Father God, would you convince us of this? It's, it's one of those things that just seems too good to be true. Would you help us to see and believe and to know that Jesus has come so that you can be known by us? Whether for the first time or again, would you teach us that? Would you work it into our hearts and minds in such a way that it would change our lives? We ask this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.